We'd like to thank our friends at Sleep Number for sponsoring the Thrive Global Podcast. Sleep Number is changing the way we sleep with their latest beds, the Sleep Number 360 Smart Beds. They automatically adjust on each side to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Hello and welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast on iHeartRadio. My guests today are our first married couple on our Thrive Global podcast, and they're also two of the most renowned and popular interior designers in the world as hosts of TLC's Nate and Jeremiah by Design, which has just finished season two. They currently live in LA with their daughter Poppy and their new son Oscar. I'm so pleased to welcome author and interior designer Nate Berkus and interior designer Jeremiah Brand to the podcast. You need to write a book, babe. I'm fine. <laughs> this time. I've got time. He's so much younger. I know. Taller. It's terrible. There's 13, he's 13 younger, years. Younger, yeah, Yes. He's more 30, handsome. 13 years uh, younger and at least one inch taller. Exactly. So but far more mature. Less so that's all that fat, matters. All of it. It's terrible. <laughs> now you've welcomed into my nightmare of a life. Yeah. <laughs> so before we talk about your amazing career, I want to talk about you becoming parents again to Oscar and how it happened because people are so fascinated by the way now with modern science you can build a family. And I would love to tell the story that you told me to everybody. I think that, you know, we live in a very special time. And Jeremiah and I have always believed that love is love. And we both individually and as a couple, especially as a couple, wanted to bring children into the world and raise them in a way that honors everything that we've tried to understand about life and the lessons that we've taken and forge a path with children in a home that is meant purely to support who they are meant to be. And that's our philosophy and how we plan on raising both kids. We're certainly not experts. We have a three-year-old and a five-week-old today. We've been doing so, it for three years. Yeah, so we have no idea what we're talking teaching about, anybody to anything. be clear. Um, but there are other very strong women and, and very interesting people like Brene Brown and like uh, Oprah and people that, and, and yourself. I mean, there's so much information out there. And I think that it's our duty as parents to take that information in and process it and honor the spirit of these two kids. And so we went through surrogacy. We had the same egg donor for both children, but different surrogates who carried both children to term. We were in the delivery room for both kids. I cut the umbilical cord mm-hmm. for our son and Jer for our daughter. I pulled both kids out. He did. He did. He really <laughs> did. did. He I was in the room with the it. OB. And both children were born in Los Angeles, which has sort of has laid the longest tracks legally. And they've just been doing surrogacy for longer than any other state. And so it was safer to have both children here in the state of California. But both have been miraculous and special and this convergence of a time that we're all living in right now where science and love and altruism and narcissism and all of these <laughs> things kind of come together to help people like us 
create a family. And we're very grateful. So does the narcissism come in when you look at your daughter, Poppy, and see that she looks exactly like you? No, not at all. <laughs> come on. Come on. I mean, uh, the surreal thing is actually looking at somebody that is an extension of you. I mean, you obviously know that with your daughters, but to see something of yourself and another child, mm-hmm. it's just surreal. And if you hadn't connected to something before larger than, you know, God, whomever it is that you worship, you connect to it watching a child being born because it is such a beautiful experience i'll spend my entire life trying to describe what that was like and seeing that it was it was so special and i think surrogacy you know for us had this really interesting side of it that nobody really discusses it's this synergy that you create with these people that you choose to go down this road with you're getting the gift of life from doctors you're getting the gift of life from your surrogate and it's this tribe that you form It is the culmination of a lot of love. It's a lot of people that want to bring somebody into the world. And, you know, we took that energy really seriously. We still do. We are still dear friends with both of our surrogates. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, we made the decision that we would be friends with the surrogates for the rest of our lives because I want to, we want our kids to know how great it was. And that, that it these, took a lot of love to get them here. Yeah, and that yeah. these women were willing to help us bring them into the world, you know? So it's a unique gift, and we're definitely humbled by it. The other day, Jeremiah, Poppy was sitting with Jeremiah, and she said to him at the table, Dad, who's my mom? She's a very precocious three-year-old. Yes. So she's a very sort of sophisticated little thinker. To which I wish I had one of her diapers on. I was yeah. like, I was not, I've read every book about this. So I had it all you planned prepared. out. I wasn't ready at three. Right. So I like went into this whole existential explanation. And I was like, let me tell you about life and love and blah, 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 blah. And not every family is different. And there's these kids at your school and they have two daddies and, and some have two mommies and... You, you know, some people are raised by just their grandmother and many people have a mommy and a daddy, but you have two daddies. And she looked at him and she said, I know you're my mommy. Oh. <laughs> I was like, as close as you're going to get. It was pretty yeah. great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that was the end of the existential. For now. That's it. Yeah. Well, for now. We'll that see was, what happens. That was her cliff note. <laughs> we'll see what happens when puberty hits. But. but it's also amazing to see how you never think you can love somebody as unconditionally as you love your children. No, it's incredible. I didn't realize that love could evolve. You know, I thought, I mean, I met Nate. I fell madly in love with him. It was a love that felt cellular. I understood it. It felt so familiar. And then you have a child and you watch that love evolve in a very different direction and an entirely different type of love. So it's just kind of amazing to think that love is boundless if given the opportunity, I guess, because kids teach you that, you know. And then the the fact that I'm sure it deepens your love for each other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we admire each other in different ways and for different reasons now, for more reasons. He's a terrific parent. You know, I've sort of stepped into some of my father, my late father's role where I'm not terrific at disciplining. I sort of laugh because I think it's so kind of charming that children come up with these arguments and rationales. And, About why they shouldn't go to bed Yeah, ever. or why they should have a, a <laughs> lollipop or any of it, and why she wants another pink candy. And I'm sort of dying and laughing, and Jeremiah is, runs a very tight ship in our house. So like, I usually have to just leave have the it? room. Like, because you can't. Let me just give it to her. What's going to happen? We'll brush her teeth. It'll, she'll be fine. Oh, man. Everybody's going to be fine. Nothing to see here, folks. Again, I can't wait till they're I don't know how you do it, because you are parenting to together, which I know we're laughing about it, but does create its yeah. own tensions. Yeah. At some yeah. point, you know, you are 
deciding how disciplinarian you're going to be and how libertarian you're going to be. And then you're working together, which creates its own additional tensions. Yeah. So how are you managing it? Give us some clues. So I think we talk a lot. Yeah, we do. <laughs> We're a bit like lesbians. I mean, we're just sort of constant and constant communication. You, you do. Um, no, you She's don't. She's the but, mom. <clears throat> yeah, 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 I'm the, mom. the tall mom. <clears throat> but we, we have, honestly, I think that we're both very much interested in life in balance. We're both very much interested in what is appropriate to delegate and what isn't. We're both very grateful and aware in our family and in our home about those moments that are so important and so precious. And what trip you take, even if it's by car for two days with the children, what those memories, even at this young, tender age, really hold for us and for them. And nothing is more important than our family. Nothing is more important to me than my relationship with him. Nothing is more important to me than my the health and my relationship with my daughter and now my son. And everything else is not as important. The deal isn't as important. The show isn't as important. The licensing or publish, whatever is going on in our world, we like to live a certain lifestyle. We're both ambitious. We're both hard workers. But nothing is more important that would cause us to miss Poppy's school play. And we both work for ourselves. We've created this world for ourselves where we can pretty much control our schedule. There's also something incredibly unique to our situation as gay men, because there's not a lot of role models to look yes. at. Well, that's what a gay family looks like. That's how it functions. You know, there's just stereotypes about a mother does this, a father does this, and it's generational. Right. We don't have that. So our engagement and our participation in this family has really been based on communication and what each other needs and what each other doesn't need. It's fascinating. You're kind of making up the rules as you go. I mean, I joke about being the mom but you know we both have kind of adopted these roles that neither one of us have ever seen before no, or I don't recognize myself in any of it except I know that it feels instinctually right and what you said about um, not really sweating the small stuff mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the licensing deal or yeah. the show ratings or yeah. whatever it is that yeah. uh, your career throws up that's a whole lesson in itself like how did you get there because I've been working on that in myself. This is something we teach at Thrive Global. How can you live life without being at the mercy of circumstances and right. the ups and downs of life and careers? I think for me, the biggest life change I had was surviving the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2005. And, and so, losing your And partner. losing Fernando, my, my first great love of my life. And it reprioritized everything. That's not to say... And I think anyone, everyone has gone through some sort of tragedy. It may not have been as dramatic as a natural disaster, but all pain, I believe, is the same. And I think that there was definitely for me a moment where my priorities and my character underwent sort of a, a change, a transformation. And that I think I can tap into still. It's not always perfect. I yes. get stressed out about TV ratings and contracts and all these things. I mean, I, it makes me nuts. But, <laughs> but I, but I, but I, I know in my bones that that's not what is going to drive our love story. That's not what, what's going to drive the well-being of our kids. And and I know that what will is those moments where we're all outside and our daughter says, "Daddy, look, isn't that a beautiful tree?" That's it for us. I mean, I, I can speak for us. I think and yeah. Jeremiah has been able to stop 
the merry-go-round of life so often to say, let's stop and notice what we're doing. Let's stop and notice what we're seeing. And it's made a huge difference. Yeah, I think I'm definitely passionate about the presence um, of beauty and taking the beat. You know, the, the career stuff, I obviously am ambitious in my own way. I want to build a career I have and I have my moments. But I care about the beautiful stuff. I care about the story and the moments that you remember 10 years from now, the second that our daughter has to stop everything to go smell a flower. Those are the moments I'm like, okay, we're doing this right. <laughs> it's not about the job. It's not, that stuff leaves or doesn't, you know, um, and we have fun. I mean, I care about him and the kids and um, the rest is kind of the icing on the cake. Okay, we're now going to take a quick break to share a sleep tip brought to you by our sponsor, Sleep Number, because sleep makes the difference for a thriving mind, body, and soul. Today's sleep tip is to set a sleep schedule, which has to start with picking a time at the end of your day when you turn off your phone and gently escort it out of your bedroom to sleep by itself and reconnect with you when you are fully recharged in the morning. This sleep tip was brought to you by Sleep Number, the bed that knows you, senses you, and adjusts to you. Only at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. So you're really practicing what we are all talking about in this age of mindfulness and mm-hmm. being in the present and uh, waking up to the fact that we've been living our lives in this frenetic way and kind of missing out on what life is about. Yeah. Do you have any structures that help you stay connected with that, like meditation, sleep, or... <laughs> well, I'm a big... I'm obsessed with the ceremony of things. Yeah. I like... I love that. that yeah. for, every, for anything and everything, I like the ceremony of getting my daughter ready for school. I like to create the ritual of it. I didn't even realize that I liked to do it until Nate pointed it out to me one year after being together for whatever, five years. He's like, everything with you is a ceremony or a ritual. The mornings are, are, are like my sacred time. I don't, I do not sleep hardly any. I do. I, don't I do. It. He do loves you, to sleep. Do you I think do you sleep. have a genetic mutation? I don't. Like, I, I, no, no, no. I, I, I mean, one percent of the yeah. population does. So yeah, do I do think he up, has that. Do you wake up after no sleep feeling good? Yeah. You're Fine. not tired. I need maybe four hours of sleep. Okay, you, I'm sure he has a genetic yeah, condition. I do not you know have you that. can test yourself. I should. I'll yeah, send you the test. Will it's you? super simple. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I would love to. And how much sleep do you need? All of it. I wish I was <laughs> sleeping right now. But uh, but what, like... <laughs> eight hours. Probably eight hours. Eight hours and I'm fine. I'm an eight-hour girl. Yeah. I don't know what I would even look like. No, you would be, you'd be like no, Benjamin no, but, Button. Yeah. But you see, that's really the proof that you have a genetic mutation. One to one and a half percent of the population does. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the rest of us need seven to nine hours. Yeah. So there are people who are seven-hour people. Yeah. We are eight-hour people. Yeah. There are nine-hour people. Well, your mother's the same way. Yeah, my your, mom His mother can sleep for sleep. three hours and have yeah. a full day yeah. playing with our kids. But I get up in the morning. I have two or three hours of complete silence. I meditate. I light my... You know, my incense, I do my thing, yeah. and it's the ritual for me, and the coffee, the smell of the coffee, the whole mm. thing. The coffee I, in a proper know. cup, yeah. he drinks out of porcelain, there's a candle lit when I come downstairs. It's not for me, it's for him. everyone, but for it's him. Also just the, it, it's setting the atmosphere for the yeah. house. The music. There's music on when everybody's up, yeah. the candles are lit. The, I don't know, it's this, the ceremony and the ritual of like, that's what everybody walks into in the morning. And I think it makes a big difference. I watch our daughter, the way she navigates through it. She's always calm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, it makes a difference. The energy in our house is always that been calm That is amazing because children pick up the stress.
stress of their parents. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in most homes, breakfast is like a struggle for survival. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It you looks know, like rushing. It looks like yeah. survival. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like survival. Yeah. And, pick and, this bagel! And children pick that up. And, yeah. and especially when they see their parents constantly on their farms. How are you navigating that around your children? We are working on it. Yeah. <laughs> the phone is hard. I mean, Nate, for example, doesn't have a computer. He does everything through his phone. It's like grand central station for yeah. him. So, you know, I think we're working on it. We're definitely more cognizant of it now that the kids are awake. Our kids are alive and moving and, you know, everybody more alert. needs people. I, I don't think we've figured it out yet. Yeah. I mean, I think that the truth is there's certain things, you know, I, my stepmother, Poppy, is the sixth grandchild on that side of the family. And my stepmother, when she was born, said, you know, don't you have these games downloaded? Peekaboo Barn and all these things that all the other grandkids play on. And I had like a beat where I, I thought, no, oh, I don't want to do that. But then she was learning the names of the animals and engaging and understanding the sounds. On the screen. On the screen. And I thought, maybe this isn't terrible, but I don't, I don't really know the answer. I mean, we're, we limit TV. She doesn't mm-hmm. have, she's, she's not on our phones or computers. I mean, we don't hand her an iPad at dinner. That's right. we read. The only time our daughter is on a device is on a flight from anywhere to anywhere because that's not interesting to anybody else to have a <laughs> screaming child or a, 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 a frustrated child. We don't sacrifice the intimacy of the family time, which is the one thing I think we are doing correctly. You know, there's never going to be a moment where there's a phone or a tablet allowed at the computer. That moment is for connection. At the and, table. I'm sorry, yes. at the table. Yeah. That moment is for connection and intimacy and conversation. She gets to watch her cartoons on Saturday and Sunday in the morning for an hour. Right. You know, it's fine. We're trying to figure it out. You it know? is amazing that she's obsessive about uh, certain cartoons at three. That she's she obsessive. The, car- the characters, the names, she talks about them all day. She only watches on the weekends in the morning for maybe an hour or 45 minutes. And she will spend the rest of the week saying, I'm this character and you can be this character. I mean, it really is like... It's terrifying. It's like like (laughs) heroin. But no, I think it's actually wonderful because... She maybe absorbs something for an hour, but then she lets her own imagination yes. uh, develop characters and plot lines. And exactly. I think the problem is when children become completely addicted to consuming, right? You know, on screens, yeah, uh, or when they see their parents around them constantly on screens. You know, on the Thrive Global Media platform, we get. People in the arena, successful people like you, to write about their moments of epiphany or how they are changing their habits. And Philip Schindler, who is the chief business officer at Google, Mm -hmm. wrote a piece about how on a Saturday morning he told his young children, Daddy is taking you to the playground. And his five-year-old said, oh, no, can't the babysitter take us? And he was kind of crestfallen and asked why. And the five-year-old said, because when you're at the playground, you're always on your phone. Wow. So that was his moment of epiphany of not being on the phone around the children. Children really pick that up. And especially, as you said, as they grow older and more conscious and alert around their parents. So we are all navigating this new world order. I mean, the phone is 10 years old. Exactly. And we are all learning. I think I would love you to write about it as you are 
developing you know new awareness and help other parents because we would love that nobody has the playbook no and nobody's an expert i mean we're just what works for our family may work for someone else's or an idea i mean we've like i mentioned earlier we've taken a lot of our own i guess sort of family manifestos and philosophies from other people and so we would be happy to share what we know dr maya angelou said once on the oprah winfrey show many years ago do your eyes light up when your child walks in the room? Mm. And I was maybe 25 years old, 26 years old when I heard those words. And I carried it with me all these years. I'm 46. And I remember thinking to myself, whoa, like what an amazing thing to know. If I'm ever fortunate enough to have children, if I ever have those, the patter of those little feet running uh. through my own home, our home, let that be what guides us, that simple statement. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. It's a nice practice. And uh, have you thought of whether you're going to teach Poppy to meditate? I would love to. Ironically, she's, she, <laughs> she's loves, she, she loves the ritual and ceremony of everything as well. She likes things the way she likes them. If there's a routine, she loves a routine. She <laughs> loves a routine. She's, she's so calm. They changed the routine in her class at school, in nursery school, because the I guess many children like a routine and get comfort from that, but they need to know that you don't always put your shoes there. Some weeks you put your shoe on the other side of the right. room. Or She's very funny, though. She'll put on her little floaty vest when she's in the pool with me, and we have this beautiful, beautiful ancient oak tree in our garden here in Los Angeles, and she'll lay back and float underneath the tree and mm. just quietly just look. Look. Those are the moments for us that, that mean something. Yeah. That's her meditation moment because mm-hmm. at the beginning it's easier for children to meditate while walking or mm-hmm. floating mm-hmm. rather than sitting cross-legged. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't really do it. You, you can't could do, do it. it. Mm. My mind races. I'm a, I'm bad at yoga. That kind of silence is I'm not great with. But I, I take things from other practices. That like what? Sometimes I just need to be quiet watching the world go by me. So maybe I'll just go and leave our busy house and go have a manicure for 20 minutes and just sit and watch through the window things that are happening. Or I'll spend an extra 20 minutes in bed in the morning, even if I'm awake, just kind of gathering my thoughts for the day and, you know, thinking things through. But the it's hard for me to do. He could do yoga. He can he meditates constantly. And I'm sort of like. I don't know. It makes me a little crazy. But maybe because you think that in order to meditate, you have to silence your mind, which is not true. You just observe it. Yeah. And then at some point it gets quieter, right? Yeah. Don't worry. We'll get him to meditate. We'll work on him. We'll work on him. We'll get Poppy Let me get through this end first. Our daughter will teach us. Teach me for sure. So let's move now from parenting together to working together. What has it been like doing the show together? so easy it's been perfect we've had no issues whatsoever no you guys here's the truth you have to really we say this all the time but you have to really like the person that you're married to to do a show with them yeah because it is going to touch on every issue that you had with your ego every issue that you have professionally it's going to touch on every issue emotionally in your relationship 
And it has, you yeah. know, it's those shows are like a big magnifying glass to your personality because you're going to see a lot about yourself and learn about a lot about yourself that you didn't necessarily know existed. So it kind of forces you, if you do it correctly, to confront parts of yourself mm -hmm. that are not so cute. Yeah. I've had really not so cute moments. Um, Nate has. But, you know, I think the truth is at the end of the day, we love working together. We love spending time together. And we love creating things together. We have a blast with it. And we're aligned on why we're doing it. As a couple, we, we're doing it because we both believe that people deserve to live really well. And the fact that we have the opportunity to walk into people's homes who may not have ever had the opportunity to live beautifully and live in a space that rises up to greet them. We're both, even when we can't stand the sight of one another because we're, you know, we're, we're exhausted and Stop we've been filming literally like Jerry will be like, I hate the shape of your head right now. <laughs> I hate how you chew. What are you eating? It's, you're disgusting. But it's better that our goal is so aligned with this television show to our own philosophies on, on how we move through the world and what we think people really should have and what they deserve. And when you have that, you can work out everything else, I think. But it's hard. It's hard sometimes. And have you identified the triggers? Have you identified what triggers you in each other? Everything in me triggers you. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, um, we have. A hundred percent. The second season was definitely more difficult than the first. Just as far as production goes and, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And we're both so not only invested in this as a business and as a show, but invested in emotionally, you know, the stakes we take very seriously. We care about the people that we're doing the work for. So we take on the weight of that a lot. But we've learned a lot about each other. We've learned a lot about how to communicate and more importantly, how not to communicate. Mm -hmm. And when to communicate exactly. things. Because, you know, when you're mic'd and you're on set and yes. you've got a crew of 30 people downstairs that's not the time to pick a fight. Right. It's really a bad plan. But that happens. I mean, you know, we, we're getting better. We learn about it every day. The stuff actually at home is very easy. I mean, we control all of it. We're executive producers, so we don't worry about the cameras capturing something that we wouldn't want anyone to see. And, you know, our daughter has appeared on the show, and she's super adorable and pretty much a scene stealer. But I think ultimately the, the most... Interesting thing, at least for me, was that I was doing this for many, many years, doing makeovers on television. I didn't have to ask anybody's permission or <laughs> consult them on whether they liked a paint color. I mean, it was horrible for me to have to stop down. I moved through things and pretty quickly, and I'm very decisive. And Jeremiah was like, that's not okay. You're not choosing that because you like it. I'm standing right here. Right. It's called Nate and Jeremiah by design, not Nate <laughs> And friends. Basically the same yeah. conversation when we had when we, when we, we got met. married. Yeah. I was like, this is not just your life anymore. Yeah. This is our life. Mm -hmm. and, and on the flip side of that, you know, we're in very different places, different place of our careers. You know, Nate has had a very well-established career for 25 years. I'm new um, for the last, you know, six years of my career. So really earning each other's respect throughout the process and understanding each other and finding that has been amazing. But I think we've gotten there. You know, we, the show, we always, the tension always arises from things not going the way it should and the organization and everything. But the actual creativity, the messaging, the intention, it's that's all, the easy that's part. That's solid, yeah. That is yeah. the easy part for us. And I love what you said about uh, wanting to help people create a home that really speaks to them and that is like a sanctuary. 100%. It's interesting because I think no matter who you are and no matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter where you're living or what country you live in, 
there's something universal about the fact that everybody wants to live better. Yes. And I admire that, and I'm very keyed into that, as is Jer. I mean, the two of us walk into a space, and we meet these people who are often in really desperate circumstances, and they've lost control. Your home is one of the biggest signs of how you're doing in the world. When you walk into someone's space and you see it's like in complete disarray and it's dirty and it's unfinished and there's unfinished projects and you feel the chaos of the actual space, chances are that that chaos is is in their lives, in their daily lives as well. And so there's a power in design. There's a power in decoration. It's not just a frivolous thing that rich people do to, to show how much money or status they have. The power in decoration that both of us believe in is that when your home reflects your truest sense of self, when you really can come into that space and close the door behind you and feel buoyed and safe and appreciated, it changes the way you move through your day. It changes the way children do their homework. It changes the way how a busy housewife feels about running all the errands. You know, you see all these things like, oh, that 1950s thing, like, oh, you got a new washing machine for my, <laughs> you know, for Christmas or whatever it is. It's like, there's something there, though. There's something about this constant need we all have to improve our homes and, and make them better and more efficient and prettier and warmer because it makes our lives easier. It's easier to live your life in a beautiful space. And do you feel that there's now an additional longing to create like spaces of peace and centeredness, which are not a function of wealth, because, no, you know, we've all not. been in homes of very wealthy people that were not inviting, yeah. that were not warm. And uh, we've been in studio apartments that had one room and, yeah. and it spoke to you mm, and you, you remember wanted forever. to yeah. yes, stay there forever. So how do you create that? Is it like about creating a corner? Is it about uh, the nightstand? Is it yeah. the nightstand for me is to, the, can be like an altar? Yeah, <laughs> that it's makes true. sense. That does make sense. We, um, I mean, the shift for us and the conversation with home is gone from, you know, home has always been for the last, largely for the last decade or so, about, a bit about making your home pretty. We believe in making your home an extension of who you are, and it's about mm -hmm. the connection. So we've always tackled, tackled every space based on the moments that you live in it. What is your morning like? What's your ritual in the morning? What is your favorite time of the afternoon? What are the, the top moments that you spend in that house? And letting that be the start and then rippling out home from there. You know, it's kind of breaking down every rule. Dining room doesn't need to be the dining room. Do you like the light in there? Does it make you happy to sit in there with a cup of coffee? Then let's shift it. Like, what does that become for you? And I think it's an interesting time. It's a fun time when it comes to home because people are understanding. It's exciting right now. And it's primal. I mean, every yes. animal, every species, home, that shelter is safety. It's the roots. It's and Dr. definitely Seuss right now. And all the world, my nest is best. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's funny too. It's, I agree with everything that Jeremiah said. And also, you know, our home should tell our stories. When you should walk into someone's space and you should see and feel where they've been, where they hope to go, who they've loved, who they've lost, what their interests are. I mean, all these little things that we choose to surround ourselves with, where they've traveled, where they aspire to travel. All of those things are part of what it is to assemble a room and to feel well in that room. And the idea of sanctuary is enormous. What are the smallest gestures that we can do for ourselves that show that we honor ourselves? A dozen flowers from the grocery store. Yes. Cut beautifully short in a beautiful 
uh, glass from the flea market that might have been two dollars but what does it feel like to wake up and see that on your nightstand every morning Mm -hmm. when your alarm goes off as opposed to the chaos of the you know pile of unopened bills and you know all this insanity so you're talking about things that are that are ten dollars eight dollars twelve dollars that change the way we move through our day and that is also part of design for both of us i love that yes i I believe you can have a bad vase with just one flower Beautiful. And a candle. I like you. Yeah, I, love I love candles candle. everywhere. I travel with candles because hotel rooms. I used to do you that light too. a candle and you know, you have to make sure you have matches with you because if you ask for matches, if you forgot them, they'll tell you you cannot light a candle in the room. Yeah. But you can. You can. Nobody will know. Very but you quietly, can. Yes. Yeah. Provided you bring your own matches and yeah. provided you don't burn down the hotel. Right. Yeah, make sure you blow it out. <laughs> but you're absolutely right about the order in your surroundings, having a little space that's not cluttered Mm -hmm. helps helps the freneticness of the rest of our lives. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think both of us get being in sort of the public eye and in design, design being the apex of both of our careers, is that, you know, we hear from a lot of people that want to know where to start, what to do, what can they, what steps can they take? And I'm always saying, like, clean up your house. It doesn't matter yes, how beautiful yes, the yes. throw pillow is that you bought that weekend, but I mean, you're out, clean up, like, you know, get some glass cleaner out and some, some towels and, you know, make the space clean, do your edits and then start bringing in beautiful things. Mm-hmm. A, a so beautiful, be willing to throw things away or yes, give things or away. give it away or donate them, edit our belongings. I mean, there's, there's people live with so much that they don't need yes. and, and it becomes overwhelming. Absolute beauty or function. Those should be the two driving forces behind editing your home. Does it bring you pure joy or do you need it and you actually really use it? Not I'm going to use it nine years from now, but I like having my toast on this plate or bread rack. I like to use a bread rack. If you use a bread rack, you should have a bread rack. Like, you know, it can be great, Um, you know, but if you don't, then you you don't need to have all these things in case you have a very fancy brunch someday. I would like a bread rack full of bread. I would like to eat (laughs) that. I would, yes, definitely. You want a bread rack? I'm kidding. He he just wants bread. Do you have a bread bread rack at home? No, No, we don't. don't. We actually do, but we use it for stationary. Yeah, so it's not not quite used for sourdough. Yeah, we don't use it for muffins. So how many handwritten notes do you do? The stationary idea, I love that. Well, you, always. You do a lot always. of handwritten notes? In fact, I, I'm in a a Virgo sort of horror right now because we don't we ran out of stationery and we've received tons of gifts for Oscar. And when our daughter was born, I used to write 20 a day to acknowledge the gifts that right. we got for our daughter. And that was my own personal goal that I would get through 20 thank you notes a day. And now I have a, basically a big wire bucket <laughs> filled with notes that I've written what the gift was on everybody's note. And no one's received a thank you note. And I feel like a bad person as a result of that. Oh, can we forgive you? No, no. not yet. You can no? forgive me when, when, when they're sent, no, no, when they're no, mailed. No, no, no. We believe in forgiveness. No, I, 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 don't I, you I'll, think? I'll, I'll be fine. fine with it. I forget. Yeah, he's a long not time doing it. Yeah, he's not, you're he's not writing them. I think he's a bit of a super perfectionist. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. But I, I believe in that. I mean, I believe in a handwritten note. I believe in a handwritten acknowledgement of someone's gesture. I'm sending you a handwritten note to thank you for participating. Oh, thank in you. We frame notes in our house. We do. We have we have that. we have some very special notes from framed in frames in our bookshelves that uh, my, I think are some of my and favorite. And I'm also sending you a onesie 
Thank for you. Oscar that per- says thrive on it. Perfect. But let's agree right now you're not sending me a thank you note. We'll so see. one less thing to well, worry about. Well, if you're thanking us for coming on the podcast, then I, I shouldn't send you a note thanking <laughs> you. So we'll, we'll, I, I can we'll figure I'll, it yes, out. Yes, we can navigate that over wine. I hope you guys are yeah. yeah. Exactly. You've talked about date nights. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now that Oscar is born, do you still have date nights or yeah. are date nights out of the window? No, no, we do. We have to. We, we, let's be honest. We have an incredible woman who lives with us to help us care yes. for the children. She was Poppy's baby nurse. She's from oh, Trinidad. Fantastic. She's nursed 114 babies. Our son is number 115. She's older and very, very experienced. And she, typically baby nurses stay with a family for maybe six months maximum. They usually move on every three months or, or, or so. And three and a half years later, our, our baby nurse, Cheryl, is now the nanny and still lives with us. So we eventually she'll move home to Trinidad where her children still live. They're building a very fancy house down there right now. But, but we that's enjoy, beside the point. <laughs> we enjoy the ceremony of taking that time again yeah. and leaving. Yeah. You know, it started with us. It's going to end with us. Right. You know, the funny thing about having kids, and I don't know if every parent experiences, but it's such a rented love. It's very temporary. Like, I can feel, like, she's three, and the other day I was sitting downstairs going, okay, then she's going to graduate at 17, so that means I've got 14 <laughs> years. No, no, yeah. no. Let me reassure you. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter is 29 today, and I'm hosting a dinner here for her best friends. Yeah. And it never ends. Okay. And it changes, it's just, and it changes, and, and it changes forms many times, yeah. Yeah. but it never ends. And it gets deeper and deeper in many ways because yeah. you share more and more of life together. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about that. But definitely cherish the moments when you are yeah. the most important person. I know. Rather than when you have to compete. <laughs> I get kisses whenever I want right now. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. what was your last date night? I think we went out to dinner. A tower bar. No, it was in Palm Springs. Oh, yeah, we yeah. did. We took the family. We have moths in our house, or we supposedly did, which made me want to commit myself to some sort of institution. <laughs> and so we had to have the whole house humiliated with a newborn with. and a dog. Ah, so we packed up the entire everybody. family and the dog, and we drove down to the desert for a few nights so that the chemicals would you know, dissipate in the house. And we left one night when the children were asleep. We went to a really nice dinner, the two of us, and sat outside in a courtyard in Palm Springs. And it was windy, and we mm. had some great drinks and really beautiful conversation, and then went home. It was perfect. Does either of you cook? Jeremiah do. does. I love to cook. Mm. Again, the ceremony yeah. and the ritual. Yes. I put my music on. I sit in the kitchen, and it's uh, it's usually French rap. French rap, for yeah. whatever reason. <laughs> Not sure why. Yeah, it's always just been what I'm into. And then when he's done, I go in and clean. So you know, I I just really love this whole idea of ritual because I think we've lost a lot of it in yeah. modern life, and I think a lot of the problems people have, problems of depression, anxiety, stress not being able to sleep, are related to this lack of ritual and ceremony. So. I feel this could be another show. Yeah, I love that. It is. You know, it's going beyond the sort of design element of the house. Is how do you build rituals into your lives? I've built a ritual into ending the day and going to sleep. 
Yeah. You know, the way you, you do with Poppy, and I'm sure we'll soon do with Oscar, you know, you don't just drop them in bed, right? right. There's yeah, a whole of course. ritual of stories and good night moon and uh, exactly. lowering the lights and putting yeah. them in their PJs. And in fact, I, I recorded a parody of Good Night Moon called Good Night Smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> That's so is, great. Which is the adult version yeah. of saying goodbye to, to yeah. your day. Of course. And we have launched a product I'm going to send you. Okay. That's a charging station that looks like a phone bed mm-hmm. that you put outside everybody's bedroom. And it has a little blankie. And the ritual is you put your phones under the blankie, you tuck them in and you say goodnight. Amazing. <laughs> which is like a ritualistic way of ending the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has room for 10 phones and iPads. That's brilliant. So when Poppy gets a phone... Yeah. Uh, she knows the the phone goes in the phone bed, right. and that her dad's phones are there too. So it's not a punishment. No, yeah. it's, it's it's like it's, it's, a it's, it's phone hygiene. Yeah, it's phone <laughs> hygiene. The way she yeah. teaches to brush her teeth, because yeah. now I'm sure you have friends with teenage kids who are apoplectic. They yeah. can't get the phones out of the kids' hands when they go to sleep, and they wake up and snap and text all night. I know, it's, it's really crazy. crazy. It's so, so scary. It's world. The intimacy so, has changed so much. It's terrifying. So you can start another show. Perfect. On ritual and ceremony. I, You'd be perfect. <laughs> so in. You would be absolutely it. perfect. Yeah. I and I'll just that. clean the studio behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's perfect. Because I do not enjoy that ritual. <laughs> but there are, there are habits that I think we all have. Like, you know, I make the bed every morning. He's up early, but I will not leave our bedroom without the bed perfectly made. And I would feel strange moving through the day. Knowing that you haven't done the yeah, bed. or you know, I I just I think like that idea of putting your phones to sleep. I mean, to have a habit like that speaks to so many other things: the quality of your sleep, the quality of your evening, the conversation you will have in bed with your spouse or your partner or, or yourself. I mean, it's really interesting. Absolutely, because it's also like declaring an end to the day, right? Because the truth is that our days never end, right? So it has to be like an an arbitrary ending. Mm-hmm. And for me, the arbitrary ending is denoted by putting my phone to bed I love and it. and saying goodnight. So do you want a light wood or mahogany? Light, please. Light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On you. its way. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank it you for was having absolutely us. wonderful it's always a pleasure to have to you on the podcast. And uh, For all of you, thank you for listening and watching. Be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global Podcast with iHeartRadio. And um, in between episodes, go to thriveglobal.com for updates and stay tuned for the next episode. The Thrive Global Podcast is grateful to our sponsor, Sleep Number. If you aren't sleeping well, it could be your mattress. The Sleep Number bed lets you adjust each side to your ideal comfort, and it contours to your head, neck, shoulders, and hips, relieving pressure points. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive.